Okay. Uh, All right. Cold pod. What's up? We're back. We're doing Josh a little, is an actor now. I'm an actor now. We're doing a little slightly different thing today. We're going to do the classic podcast way. Yeah. Where we're going to give you a little 10 minutes of us before our guest arrives. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'm an actor now. This is. Uh, yeah. Am I allowed to talk? I guess I didn't sign anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't have to say what it is, but we don't you, have to say what it is. You, you got casted. <laughs> got casted. You got something. casted, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I uh, the last time I did an audition for anything was maybe 2008. This is your childhood dream. I know. True. I know. And like for what it is too, it's like even funnier that it is for what it is. That's so sick. <laughs> because I love beep. <laughs> I'll beep that out. <laughs> um. But yeah, it was like a really funny, like, yeah, it was just an interesting week because you were gone in New York, which we'll get to in a second. And while you were out partying it up in the, the Big Apple, I was, I was here doing auditions, <laughs> going <laughs> to auditions and trying things out. And you know what? This could be a, this could be a new. I think this is a new chapter. I'm going to do the next one. You definitely sure. like, like that's yeah. the joke of it all is that whatever it was, well, we know what it is, yeah. but they, Seemed to want both of us. Hell yeah. <laughs> they wanted the two of us. <laughs> and I ran into friends at this casting and they were all doing it with their friends. And I was went in by myself with some strangers. <laughs> but it was sick. Uh, I got the news today and uh, catch me on a TV and uh, catch me on a screen in the next you know, six, six to <laughs> eight weeks. To a screen or print ad <laughs> near you. <laughs> but how have you been? How's New York? How was New York? It was now so you, much fun. You gave me a little rundown, but let's 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 dive into it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know what I can't really. I, the specifics are blurry for me. Fair. Um, but it was a blast, man. I miss that city so much. It's and an electric, I, I hate it's an I hate being that guy. But yeah. it's just it's so fundamentally better than here. But here's in the a thing. lot of ways. Here's the thing, though. You know, I had this exact same experience uh, in February. Being like fucking um, New York, Ugh, yeah. I'm back. I hate yeah. it. Da, da, da. And I think so much of that had to do with the fact that it was winter. Yeah. And you know, you go to New York, which is generally a warmer place. Yeah. And you come back to Toronto, which is just like, and even when it's winter, it's like just cold enough, like more that it like pisses you off. Yeah. You know. But this time, it's like I mean, I didn't go. Obviously, you had a blast. Yeah. But I, I, I normally, in in most circumstances, would be like, oh man, like I like bummed I missed it wish I was there like I don't want to be here right now but it's summer in the city it's true so at the very least you came back to just the same weather I'm assuming yeah yeah it was yeah it was actually hotter here because <clears throat> it was the heat wave yeah true 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 which kind of sucked but no I don't know I think what I realized this time around is like it's so much is about the attitude that New York inspires in you that yeah that makes it why like it's so great you yeah know? Well, it's so just when it's you like, have that many people in that tiny little island. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. You can be whoever you, you want. Be whoever you want. <laughs> you can walk around. No one gives a fuck about you. No one. Well, no, that's the thing. No one cares. It's like, that's why, you know, you see people just dressing, doing whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, because here, you know, you're just going to run into the same people. Yeah. It's like, oh, but, you know, <laughs> the, new, <clears throat> the news cycle is so slow here. Yeah. Someone would be like, oh, yeah, Austin got a new hat. <laughs> As opposed to just being like, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, is that news? <laughs> I mean, if, I mean we, we both tend to dress in pretty, uh, you know, we, we have our uniforms to an extent. Yeah. Like I, I actually realized, well, I think my, uh, I think my like, provocative 
uh, clothing is is a phase that I'm putting to rest. Oh, you're you're gonna you're gonna phase it out. I think so. What's the next? What's next in the? I just don't. I don't want. I don't want stuff. I don't want. I don't want stuff that makes people look at me. True. You know. So you want to just blend in. I want to blend in. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is, you know, I think it's a maturity thing. Yeah, it is. It comes with age. I mean, it's like I I had a a yard sale over the weekend and (laughs) I basically sold graphic t-shirts. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because like so much of my 20s was just like, you know, a shirt with like a logo or like a label or like a band or like a thing, you know, it's like. And a lot of them had like pretty like out there graphics or like a lot of text or yeah. things like that. And like, and if you're wearing a hat with a lot of text right now, like, you know what I mean? It's like things like that where someone goes like, what is that? Yeah. I want to know what that is. And yeah. it's like a way to like talk to people almost. Yeah. Versus- which is, which is really nice. Like I got like, whenever I wear stuff like that, I do engage in so many conversations, but I think the thing that fucks me up the most is that like people see it and they assume something about me. Yes. You know, it's like one extra level for them to be like, oh, I know who this guy is. <laughs> what a guy wearing a God hat being like, I bet yeah. that guy believes God. Yeah, it's like, and it's like, you don't know me, <laughs> you know, you don't know where I stand. And a lot of the shit I wear is, I don't know. I don't know. Well, cause it's also, well, you it's fucking... tend to wear some ironic pieces. Yeah. So I, so I think that in a sense will always create some confusion Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I was literally wearing like this hat with a shirt that says happy, horny and strong. I was going like, to say, I was going to make the, like, what the fuck is this? Guy? I was going to make the exact same. And I'm like, same. what the fuck is this? Guy? Yeah. I was going to say like, it's like you wearing your sex t-shirt, but yeah. that hat, it's yeah. like. It's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to be, huh. Well, here's the thing. I, I will always remember uh, recently, not even recently, sorry, a couple of years ago, but there's certain shirts that I would wear that would have, you know, either like, a, you know, one was like LA Club Resource, yeah. this label I used to love. Yeah. And like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, like that's my thing. For if, if you know what it is, that's so cool. And we can talk about it and blah, 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 blah. But then yeah. I would have... People coming up to me, just randoms on the street, being like, "L.A. Club Resort, what's that?" Like, yeah. Oh, like, well, I also think it's like it's not the people that understand it, right? That that it creates conversation with, which yeah. that would be a different thing. Yes. Because it used to be like we've talked about this before, but it used to be like what you wore kind of did was a calling card for who you could then become friends with. Right. And right. now it really isn't. No, and that's if actually, anything, it's like a deterioration, or, or sorry, uh, a deterrent for people. Yes. You know. Well, I think also just because and we've and we'll, we'll save this later for our guests because this is kind of yeah. and <laughs> kind of leads into it. But I, th- I think sort of some of this, you know, some of the, the fashion stuff and like the way you dress, the way you present yourself to the world no longer equates to like who you are. Yeah. Where it used to be, where exactly. it very much was about like dressing for your personality. Yeah. And now it's but again, but then there's always going to be the, the back and forth because, you know, a lot of like early hardcore fashion was based purely on opposing that but now how many people do you know that dress in her early hardcore I know. fashion oh, that don't I know, know who fucked up is? I, oh i know i, I <laughs> like know? i i remember like actually i won't say who but i remember yeah. meeting someone recently you know like classic kind of like you know shaved head like you mm-hmm. know tucked in white shirt and i was like oh this guy's like a fucking like sharp this guy likes yeah. like hardcore he's got covered in tats yeah. da, 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 da. It was listening to little Uzi, little Uzi Vert. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fun. I was like, which again, sick. No, no disrespect. Yeah. Listen, to whatever the hell you want. Yeah. But it was still a funny. Mm. Just like I was like, oh, it, like, like that's what like normal guys that like listen to like t- top forty rap music yeah. dress like. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. All of the like the 
the connections have gone so astray. Like yes. they no longer connect to what they But then come how from. do you dress? That's the question. I don't know. I, I'm, that's why I'm, I don't know. I'm like, just going to wear, I'm just going to wear stuff. Like there's, there's shit. things, there's things that I've, that I'm trying to also phase out of my life. Like hats. Yeah. I'm always a hat guy. I yeah. love hats. <clears throat> But I'm trying to yeah, like... Yeah, you have been wearing less hats. I know. I'm, I know. I, I've been trying to be like, you know what? I got a good head of hair. It's yeah. it's healthy. It's curly. Yeah. Show it Show off. Show it off. <laughs> Get it out in the world. You know? So that's my thing. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to maybe wear less like shorts, even though I do like wearing shorts in the summer. True. You know, I'm trying to go for a more... But again, it is sort of reverting a little bit into into a, into a I don't want to use the word classy. The thing that pisses me off though is that everything that you could possibly wear is like some kind of statement. Yes. You know, like yes. even if I were to do- go and dress like completely normal, yeah, that's a statement in itself. Well, yeah. If I like, I started. I was like, if you start wearing ties, which is a normal thing to wear <laughs> in most fucking things, that's a statement. It's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Well, look at our boy, the dare. He's wearing a tie. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> yeah, and that's it. That and that, and it's. I I don't know. The cycle loop right now is so frustrating to me. Because and it it's not because fast. I want to be an individual. I think this is like that, like speaking of the documentary that we're you know, about to talk about. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so much of it is, you know, this gets tired and this starts to become a uniform. Yes. And so I'm going to break out and do this. That's yeah. not why I want to do this. It's yeah, like, yeah. if anything, I want the uniform. You no, know? I, say I don't want the uniform. I, I would love the <laughs> uniform. Because I love, I love the idea of at least having one, like, like even for example, the way you're dressed is not crazy at all, no. but you have the one little like statement. Piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that just goes, oh, the guy that like had the funny hat. Yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's kind of sick. I yeah, think maybe that's it sick. is. I don't know. <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. But anyways, uh, we do have a guest today. He should be on his way very shortly. Kevin Heggie. He's a writer and director from Toronto. He's actually an old friend of mine. I've known him for quite some time and he used to, uh, Give me some attitude at the uh, the old record shop back in the day, and I'd Hell love yeah. to dig into that with him a little bit because he's got incredible taste in music, and I'm sure some incredible stories about that era, which ties into a lot of like our older episodes. Totally. Um, and he directed and wrote uh, his latest film, which is called Tramps, and it's a screening June 22nd at Hot Docs. Uh, Kevin should be here any moment. Uh, hi. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> So we got to jump in straight away to Tramps, which both of us just watched today, mm-hmm. like two, Fresh hour, on our two hours ago. <laughs> um, it was incredible. I absolutely loved it. It Thank was about you. something that I honestly, you know, you often think that you, well, certain types of people think that they know every little micro scene and micro genre of all of these things. And you're, you're, you get to this point where you're just kind of like, yeah, like, I, yeah, I know about it all. Mm-hmm. And then this comes along and you're kind of like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that there was this scene that spawned a lot of things that we'll get into in a second. And I think it's sick to like showcase something like that because there's so many things that like you think you know everything. And then all of a sudden there's these these lost little scenes throughout history that don't get a chance to really shine. But oddly, the iconography from all of that felt like really familiar to me. Mm-hmm. So it felt like uncovering some kind of thing that I must have seen online or something and uncovering like well, clearly, the, I mean, yeah. the backstory behind it. So let's, so let's, first of all, how did you, what made you want to make this movie and why the new romantics? Why was this something that you wanted to showcase to the world? It's weird because like even just that little like intro moment question like it's hard to explain because the new romantic thing was a sort of major thing like when I was really little like mm. my sisters who are like let's say 10 years older than me whatever, yeah. um 
they were really into like Boy George and Duran Duran. Like it was really, really normal to see these guys dressed up like in frilly, I guess, frocks or whatever you would call yeah. them. And yeah. like Boy George, you know, I was too young to know that there was this whole um, Hold thing. Hold a little closer. Oh yeah, sorry. I wasn't yeah, sure yeah. if I was being too loud or not. No, 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 really no, no, loud. no, 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 didn't know that there, like I discovered later in high school and everything, that there was this thing of like young teenagers thinking that Boy George was a girl and like being attracted to him and stuff I didn't discover until I was like older and having this queer mind thing mm-hmm. starting. And um, I really loved the deception of all of that. Uh-huh. Like I just thought that was a super punk thing. And, um, but like didn't necessarily have a vested interest in bands like Duran Duran or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like, I mean, they're great, whatever. It's just like, it, it wasn't even necessarily a guilty pleasure of mine, but, um, I was kind of predisposed to like British, mm-hmm. like UK subcultures and right. you know what I mean? Because like I was of the era where like Britpop was like the main thing. And like, so obsession is like totally a part of right. that kind of fandom, like yeah. from, from that era. <clears throat> and I'm also just kind of an obsessed person. Like uh-huh. I've never been chill about anything. I'm just like obsessed <laughs> about everything. Yeah. So, um, so the way it started was like, I'd always wanted to go to London and like, yeah. So get, that gets in, of course, as I got older and got way more into music and right. had like knew all this minutia about scenes and stuff like you were talking mm-hmm. about, like mm-hmm. I was just hungry for all that. And like, you know, types of people that I guess we are or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there was so much there. And also I was into fashion and art and blah, blah, blah. And just like, just the UK had a lot of draw for me in that way. So Mm -hmm. I did my first movie in like 2012. And that was about a punk band from Toronto that was super niche. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the themes in that were like squatting and like kind of like living, you know, living um, totally precariously. Like Mm -hmm. um, Which exists in this film too, though. Well, that's the kind of thing is ends up being kind of a similar film because um, I, yeah, so all of these, all of these themes in my first movie were really about me being like wanting to contribute back to the scene around me because I was kind of in the indie rock scene and then getting more into like punk shows and stuff. And I was working at a record store and I just kind of didn't feel like I was contributing so much to the conversation Mm -hmm. and like I was writing for um now magazine and stuff just like stupid like cd reviews or or whatever cd reviews that (laughs) is like weirdly real that was the format and um anyway so yeah I started making the fifth call movie and then all those themes about kind of surviving like in a kind of reactionary way like reaction to the dominant culture yeah. like in Toronto because I wasn't really stoked on Toronto anymore. All my friends were moving to Berlin or wherever. And I was like stuck behind, not stuck cause it was a great mm-hmm. place to be in. But like at the end of the day, a retail job yeah, right, for a really long time for like eight years or something. And I was kind of like feeling like a loser and, and then, but I went to school for film. So then I, I started, yeah, I had this idea to make this movie. So I did that and it ended up premiering in London at the BFI Flair Festival because this woman, Nazmia Jamal, it was a riot girl. Hmm. And I don't remember how she came across it actually, but she ended up programming it in London and they flew me to London and like put me up in a crazy sick hotel for a whole week. And like, 
and I was just like completely um I was like very stoked. I like got yeah. the newspapers and like yeah. photographed them. I think they're on my Instagram. Like, yeah, well, as you should. Like, There's no embarrassment. <laughs> and to I was like, like this, is yeah. the, this is the cover of the Daily Mail the day I arrived in London. And like, I was really, really stoked about it. And then almost immediately, like, I just started meeting people who, by association, like, recognized their names. And like, mm-hmm. and everyone just seemed really around. Right. These are the boy, boy Georgie type people, but yeah, not yeah, Boy yeah. George. And it's not like I had some sort of obsession with Boy George at all. <laughs> yeah. It's just like he was one of the many things that I loved. I love Boy George himself because I've always recognized him as like a, a, a punk. And I guess I really want to, I really love knowing something that other people don't know yes. and kind of, yeah. and, and whatever thing I am trying to work on, like I'll try to kind of find a new um, way to talk about it. And if anything, that's just because you don't want to say something someone else has said. You don't right. really want to wear something someone else is wearing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's not yeah. rocket science. Um, <laughs> like some people are okay with that, but for me it's like just not, you know, it just bothers me. So anyways, I met this guy, Jeffrey Hinton. And a friend of mine who was an artist from here, I won't call her crazy, but if you're listening, <laughs> you're fucking crazy. Um, <clears throat> and she introduced me to to Jeffrey Hinton and she's like, oh, did you know he like, you know, was good friends with Lee Bowery and Michael Clark and all these people. And like my, actually I'm like literally <clears throat> my oh, hair is standing up because like, <clears throat> I was like, holy shit like wow and then she introduced me to Jeffrey and he was just the nicest guy wow. he didn't come see my movie but like afterwards he was like let's go out for for pints or whatever and he took me to these I don't know like if you've been to these places in London but like in East London there's like Vogue Fabrics and like Dalston Superstore yeah, like yeah. you know they're you know and also like people like No Bra I was like a big fan of No Bra and like Arca and mm-hmm all these people were kind of coming out of that East London. Actually, it was kind of ending at that time. Right. But like we were going to Vogue Fabrics and they were like closing the, the shutters on it. Yeah. And then Jeffrey's like jumped out of the cab and he's like, oh, 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 open back up. It's my friend from Canada. And like they would open the bars and like it would just, they would like turn the bar on just for Jeffrey. And <laughs> yeah. like wow. basically discovered this crazy person, a brilliant person who um, through our initial conversations, I realized he had... Um, videotaped everything from the late 70s early 80s this was a question i really wanted to know because oftentimes when you look at some of these documentaries you know a big part of it is the archival footage well it's a question of access right Mm -hmm. how did the the access well that's the brutal part um because basically he had never shared his archive with anybody because he was really you know understandably torn up and like Mm -hmm. what's a more classy way to say that like well, he's precious. You know, about he was it. living through the yeah. He's precious of it because like ninety percent of his friends had died. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it was just like a photo book for him. And obviously, video is way more intense than like photos, even. And um, basically, this last ten years of my life have been trying to like get to a place of honesty and trust with these people where they would trust me because it either be really established filmmakers or people like Jeffrey who just have a personal like mm-hmm. he's a video artist and uh-huh. makes films, but not in an industry type way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, in various capacities, trying to gain people's trust to share that stuff, um, especially like not having any money to make it. So, I, I really, really wanted to access Jeffrey's archive and to this day haven't. Mm-hmm. The only way he'll play it is if he's live projecting it, which right. he's going to do with the screening yeah, yeah. in Toronto. Sick. But, um, 
Yeah, but then, but London is just amazing because I don't know. It's just like I kind of was just like stalking people, and mm. like people are just more chatty in a way that they'll be like, "Oh, you should talk to this person, talk to that person." And a lot of them are like big wig mm-hmm. people who did like music videos I watched as a child. I'm like, yeah. "Oh, here's all the." Here's just all the crap from that. I don't remember, you know, and you're like, (laughs) you're like, uh, um, yeah. So like, actually just, so like Jeffrey aside, because he never ended up sharing, he shared, I think like there's a, like a 1.5 second clip from his uh, movie, which wasn't supposed to be in there actually, sort of an accident, but he let us keep it. But um, anyways, it just became, it just started this obsession of, of me talking to Jeffrey about this place called the Warren Street Squat. And that's a squat that I knew of it because he had just done a thing at the National Portrait Gallery and he was um, going through photos, showing his photos and videos. And there's all these, you know, London hoo-hahs there. Hoo-hahs? London <laughs> people? And uh, they, they um, there was these stories I read on, I can't remember, Dazed or something. And there was a story about how Boy George, he was talking about the Warren Street squat or something, and there was like a, f- a phone, because like one squat would have a phone, and then one squat would have running water, and then right. one, you know, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. I got this thing in my mind, like this geography of squats, and I thought that would be cool to kind of show that. And apparently, Boy George was like, wait a minute, there was a phone line there that whole fucking time. I was running across the street to the payphone, and like that was the kind of like genesis of the idea of the movie was yeah. that. So that was kind of the genesis of it, and and then it just ended up me trying to meet people and get stories. And so at first I was asking about one thing and then like fast forward to now, the movie is completely about something else. And because right. the new romantics. Well, were, what was the, what was it initially supposed to be about that? Well, that like it okay. was supposed to be about the, the squats and everything. Right. Okay. And then, so, okay. and then basically like how everyone was interconnected. Cause um, I guess the story goes on pretty long, but like I came back to Canada and I was obsessed with this guy, Michael Clark, the dancer mm-hmm. is featured in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working with a Toronto like dance company at the time, not the Toronto dance company, <laughs> but, but a uh, dance it's public company. recordings. They were called okay. Amy Henderson's dance company. And um, I love Michael Clark and I had posted on Facebook after Jeffrey and I became friends on Facebook. Why can't I see these early Michael Clark shows that are like legendary? Yeah. And um, he kind of wrote me right away being like, why are you asking about that? Because there was this flash forward or back when I was working at Unlovable, this girl, Erin, okay. who was a friend of Sarah Millman, like Rob Gordon's, yeah. like um, for an East Coaster, she came in when I, and her and I just started talking about Michael Clark and Lee Bowery and stuff. And she told me how when she was in her first year of college or whatever, she like flew over to London and did her like whatever project on uh, Lee Bowery's clothes as fashion objects as art objects Mm -hmm. and i was like you gotta be kidding me (laughs) and she told me these crazy stories about how um like michael clark was on like you know he was addicted he suffered from addiction or whatever and um had bailed on the whole you know professional uh thing that he had going Mm -hmm. and um, at one point in time, there he had like a warehouse in North London that got raided by the police because he, they just weren't paying for the rent or whatever. Yeah. So they would just open it to the public, and all these people came and got all of this this stuff. And in that warehouse was the documentation. This is what I found out from Jeffrey, but all of the clothes and everything that Lee Bowery made, they like ended up raiding. So 
there was this guy, Mr. Pearl, who did all the corsets yep. for uh, corsets for like, you know, the major fashion houses. Mm-hmm. He was like wandering around whatever Kensington or whatever marketplace and saw one of his pieces. And then I don't know. So the story goes flash forward to like all these drag queen type freaks running around the city to the markets trying to get all these like precious garments (laughs) or just scoring them and being like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that story blew my mind. And then, then flash forward, if everyone's keeping up with the flashing backwards and forward, (laughs) I came back from London and Jeffrey, he's like, why are you asking about those videos? And I was like, well, because my friend told me this story and he's like, well, you can't see the Michael Clark footage because I shot it. And either he doesn't share it or B, they were in that warehouse that got raided. So the reason you can't see any of those shows, I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like this girl told me this story at the bar I worked at. This weird Canadian fashion friend of mine. (laughs) Like it was just crazy. It was just so many um, coincidences and Uh stories that I'd somehow heard that I shouldn't have known. Right. That all tied together. And then to be honest, the rest of making the movie was like that too. Like every single thing was like, one coincidence leading to the next or serendipitous thing leading to the next. And yeah. like, there was just like right well, up to today. I always feel like documentary filmmaking reminds me in a sense of sort of like a, a choose your own adventure kind of thing where as you step forward into the story, like certain things, it's almost like a video game. It's like things get unlocked and someone goes, well, actually this person actually might be able to help you find this. And you end up like sort of like creating this like map as you go through the world, like you know, yeah, putting totally. together this, yeah. this film. Yeah. And it took so long to do too. Like, I would drop certain things into like the universe and then work with some people. And then all of a sudden you'd see it on like BBC, like people that no one had talked to. And I'm like, that motherfucker like stole my, you know, really? Yeah. Some shady people out there if you're listening. Um, And, and so I had to keep on like reinventing it to make it like something that no one else would do. So that's why things became more and more about survival, especially because I was broke as hell. Yeah. <clears throat> the longer it went on, like you right. can't really get a job or anything. Um, so it just became more and more about like survival and themes became less about like squatting and everything and less about the music mm-hmm. that was literally dominant at the time to mm-hmm. kind of a more, uni- well, I hope a more universal message about like creative communities and survival mm-hmm. and the different things that try to destroy your ability to, to make like whatever kind of artwork you want mm-hmm. to yeah. do. Yeah. And that includes just like going to a club. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah, that's yeah. something that I loved about the film was the fact that I went into it thinking it was going to be pretty music oriented and it's not. And I enjoyed that no, me too. because it sort of showed what has existed in like all of our lives in creative fields and creative worlds that we operate in. But the sort of like, you know, how broad these friendships go into different mediums and that all kind of creates these things in the long run. It's yeah, not it's like about a the group... people, not their outlet necessarily. Yeah, not, you know? Or, or yeah. their medium, you yeah. know, it's 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 not yeah. just like, oh, a group of musicians did this thing. It's like, no, it's like there were other people around, you know, taking pictures. There are people like designing things. Like, like that's what was so fascinating to me is that it wasn't just... Which I think is the thing that we should be or I think we are most interested in is the people behind the masks, you mm-hmm. know, the actual people behind mm-hmm. the music. And, it's, and to, to do this in a documentary that almost bypasses the musical output that these people are having and you really get to see it as not bypass but you know we get to see them as people like there was there was artists in there that i was like oh that's who that was that i was you know what i mean that i was that i was just sitting with for an hour and a half you know yeah 
it's weird because my intention was never to have most of those bands in the movie. There was only like two songs that I wanted in the movie. Mm -hmm. And one was by Lee Bowery's band Minty, the mm-hmm. song Useless Man, which he's just going shit eating motherfucking cocksucking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a part in the movie that's just like really, really trashy about him. We ended up cutting out that scene. but um, And then one by Mark Moore, who did S Express. And it was just a, a quick cut showing him in a pop video because he had this major like trance pop band. And um, those were because of um, licensing costs. Right. right. But... I was really hyper aware of like, I didn't want the movie to feel like we couldn't afford uh, like David Bowie or like what, I mean, the thing is it's a bit shady because bands like Spano Ballet and Duran Duran and like, there's tons of amazing band, like Ultravox is an amazing band. Like there's so many, you know, but like Visage and stuff, we talk about Sea Strange, but it's my movie and I wasn't really like listening to those bands Mm -hmm. and it wasn't really about. It was about the music, but the music was just kind of like um, sort of like the background, a like thing the that brought people together, like yeah. in clubs and everything. And yeah, a lot of them are their friends' bands and stuff like that. But it wasn't the thing that was super interesting to me. And because I was working with Verity um, Sussman from Electrolane really early on in it, I wanted the soundtrack to be the thing that because people are always like. Like people like, I don't know, the Canada Council for the Arts um, <laughs> saying, you know, I don't know, just people saying, well, why would we do this? You know, why, why now? Like, we don't want this to be a nostalgia thing. Like, you know, I applied for money from a bunch of places and like, oh, because I did my first movie all on Arts Council stuff. Yeah. And I, being a completely unprofessional person, unless you want to hire me, I am professional. <laughs> um, like, I was like, okay, I want to try and get like some, some funding. Like, I went to like, places like vice or wherever i had money at the time and um (laughs) and tried to get funding in that professional way and a lot of people were like well we don't we're not funding that kind of documentary right now you know we're funding like this kind of documentary right now and like um so they would always say like oh we don't want it to be a nostalgia piece but i was like neither do i yeah like who wants to make who wants to spend this much time in their life and I, was, I hate movies like that. Yeah, like, so. I was there. I wasn't there. Why yeah. do I care that you were there? Like, I wasn't there. What is, what, what is that going to get me or any of my friends? Yeah, knowing yeah, that you yeah, were yeah. there. Like, what? Yeah. It's just, I'm not interested in that. And the people that are funding you don't know who you are. Or what you, Like, there's no reason for them to trust you other than what you write. And, yeah. like, no matter how hard I tried, everyone was always saying, like, oh, it's we don't want to find a nostalgia piece. And I was like, well, fuck you. I'm yeah. going to, like, like... I, I wanted it to be about now and I wanted to keep people in seats. So the music for me, I really wanted it to bring it into the contemporary mm-hmm. sort of world. Like I didn't want them to try and recreate or make music versions of right, songs. That, right. Oh, it seems kind of familiar. It reminds me of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was like, we were, I was like, do whatever you want. Like, yeah. and, and if it makes no sense with the scene, then do more of that. Like, just like <laughs> go into it. Like, yeah, yeah, and they were just starting as a band, Memorials. Like they hadn't really even formed that, you know, they hadn't really become a band yet. They just wanted to do soundtrack stuff together. So I think they were just kind of like playing with all that, and it allowed. Well, I hope it allowed them to make all these new noises and stuff. Yeah. That so so the music for me really is like a separate part of the movie. Right. It's like not an accompaniment to the the visual yeah, to, to the time and place of the yeah. yeah it's like a totally different thing on on its own and 
I don't know. I've only got like one. Wait, that sounds really bad, but it's true, sort of. That'll probably change once I say this, but like, there's only one person who gave us kind of a shitty review, and they were like, the music is relentless. Like, shut up. We can't hear people talk. He was really old in French, and, (laughs) you know, so that might have something to do with it, but, um, yeah, he didn't like it, but yeah, the the music is like relentless, you know, like yeah, yeah, never yeah. stops, and it, it almost like. I think Cat Duma did some of the score as well. Cat Duma did some of the score, uh, yeah, at the in the closing credits. Okay. Cat Duma composed a piece for the end credits, and I wish that she could have done more, but um, like Memorials did the entire right. thing, yeah. and like, uh watching Cat write her record, you know, while this movie was happening and, like, while I was kind of finishing it up, I really wish that I'd had the opportunity to, like, kind of segue that into it more. So right. we did a little, like, smattering little at the end. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, hoping that that, like, develops into something else. Yeah. So what, like, if not in the nostalgia, because I, I, I first of all, like, appreciated that it didn't lean into the nostalgic aspect of that era, you know? what was the main major interest for you in relation to like the the modern day, you know, like what was, cause I feel it, but I'm interested in knowing what you thought of that. It was like, I had made this first movie and then I was really hungry to make another one, but mm-hmm. it was hard to do that. Like because of the lack of funding and everything. And yeah. it was really gratifying with my first movie cause it happened really quickly. And, and it was a completely different scene back then because like, people would fly me around like it was bizarre like there was so much money in the film festival thing and of course I wanted more of that but also latching on to this community that I had met when I was in London and and just like how tangible they felt Yeah, yeah, yeah and I've always kind of had friends that were older or like were in older what do you call them like mentors or whatever mm-hmm have been my friends. Like I've never been like, Oh, I'm hanging out with people my age. People have either been like really younger than me or really older than me. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, and I feel like I learn more from people that there's that discrepancy with, totally. you know? Right. And, um, and it really was like this fascination with London, but also, you know, I was thinking, how do I live here? Like, how do I do this? How do I like survive? Like, and that's why the, the in the, the subtitle of the movie or whatever you call it, the log line or whatever. I never really straightened that out, but um, it says like the art of survival because to me, the movie really is about that because Mm -hmm. I asked everyone the same questions and it was like, and I do this when I'm interviewing bands too. Like, did you ever think about giving up? Like Mm -hmm. why, why are you still in a band? Why? Like it's pretty fruitless. Like it does mostly suck. (laughs) <laughs> other than like making a great record or like making a movie that you finish, you know, but like once that's done, like what I'm experiencing right now is this discrepancy between like valuing what you've done, but wanting more, like yes. wanting the thing that you see. And I think that's understandable in the Instagram world, right? Where you're kind of always, you're always, there's, there's always, you're always just, not aspiring, but you're always, I think, but I think I would argue that that's maybe even beyond Instagram. I think, I think in any sort of art form, because you're constantly creating, there is no end. Yeah. My my sort of theory has always been that you're just constantly keep going because like you're not gonna not you're not gonna stop making films. Like you love doing it. Well, that's the thing. I was looking for some sort of answer. Like, did you ever like with Princess Julia or whatever? Like, I was like, did you ever like want to become a banker? I couldn't. I've I've done this in every interview. I can never think of an, a job because I've never <laughs> really had one. <laughs> I always say banker, but like, <laughs> I think I'm an accountant job. or or like. 
CEO. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Did you ever think about becoming a CEO? CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever want to become it. a CEO instead? <laughs> um, no, but everyone, you know, I was really looking for that because I was kind of like, I could see how precarious everything had been for me yeah. since having a retail job. Like it was kind of easier. Like, should I have just done that until I was dust? Right. Um, and, and it was really just, it just became a selfish really, really a selfish kind of like self-help thing where I was trying to figure out. And also like, because my job at the record store was really about like, people really perceived you as like knowing things that were cool or yeah. like as being like a life force or whatever, yeah, yeah, and, like yeah. not feeling like that. I could feel, I was worried about that fading and how people stay interested in things Yeah, because there's that saying, I think there's a saying um, that's like, if you're not interested, like the, the quickest way to become not interesting is to not be interested. Yeah. And that's why I get so worked up and people are like, oh, you know, like the whole jaded record store thing. It's like, <laughs> actually, no, I cared too much about yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I yeah, care yeah. too much about stuff and I'm freaked out by the fact of like, be I, I, I'm too freaked out by ennui or whatever. And so I'm super worried about, I mean, it's when I met P P Princess Julia and Jeffrey Hinton, like they were DJing in East London at like, so when I was doing research, um, <laughs> going to these gay bars and it was just freaks, you know what I mean? Like really, really amazing young freaks yeah. Yeah. who, you know, now there's people like Charles Jeffrey and stuff who are like dominating, like BAFTA award winning, you know, at Glastonbury with Tilda Swinton yeah. going like yeah, yeah, fashion yeah. major magic makeup people, you know, who at yeah. the time were just like little slum people DJing at like the queer pub or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But like Jeffrey and Julia, like these people who I thought were really, really cool and exciting and like had this like vicious, vicious style and like performative energy that like, I was like a wallflower there. Like I'm not particularly like, I don't know, like it was just crazy. But the I was interested in the fact that they were like so much older and they were DJing every single night. And yeah. like there yeah. was people saying like, Julia is never spent a night home in 30 years, you wow. know? And like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, how the fuck do you do it? Like, yeah. I'm tired just watching. I don't know, like, just, <laughs> like, and, and so I really wanted to know, like, I guess I was starting to feel like I was getting older. I think it was, yeah, I don't know. It was like sort of in my thirties and I was kind of like, okay, what's going to happen now? It's cool that I can watch from afar and have this documentary thing. Cause I do love collecting information. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I saw. I think that like when you're making a documentary, it's just a way for you to like ask to see stuff and <laughs> yeah. have a reason for them to say yes. Because yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. you're not just going to be like, can I come to your house and look through just all like, your shit? Through, yeah, exactly. And then if you're saying I'm doing a documentary, you know, they say yes most of the time. Or, you know, like I've, I've been really lucky. But then at the root of it was, I think this is what you asked. Like at the root of it was like just me being like, so how do you stay interested and enthused and and why am I so drawn to you yeah. and like how can I get some of that energy and like put that in a movie like that mm. was kind of the thing so then all the other stuff like for instance the squats you know when you were talking about people making a movie people making yeah. a painting da -da -da, and how that all cross-pollinated or whatever mm -hmm. um, it really at the end of it has to do with being interested in contributing you yeah. know like and that was like the punk thing you know like if you're part of a scene like for the, the punks and stuff in toronto like i never really felt like i was contributing something right yeah and 
so I always said I was not, I've never been a punk because punks like, you know, I think have to contribute to the scene. It's Mm -hmm. like a symbiotic thing. It's a community. Yeah. And so, um, so that, so that was the kind of thing. It was me trying to figure out how to like put all those things into one thing. It's all pretty emo actually. It's all pretty like self-helpy at the end of the day. No, I feel like it's like, it's personal. It's personal. It's it's a personal personal documentary filmmaking approach, which I think makes the most sense to me. It's like, well, what the fuck am I interested in? What do I want to get out of this? Mm -hmm. And then you're, getting whatever you want out of it and, and then, the and then there's are, other people that want to get that too and in the you end know? you are contributing yeah you are contributing something because these films live basically forever this is these these are the things that the younger versions of ourselves they're the tools that we ourselves have used to like define ourselves you know it's like yeah. we found those random documentaries or we mm-hmm. found those random cds or those albums or whatever like there's things that like those gateways in the same way you making the film you're you're, it's the map that you're exploring that map that gets like passed back and like yeah for me watching you know? like in high school watching like the joy division documentary or some shit like that you know like that defined who i was yeah, yeah, and yeah. that allowed me some kind of inside into maybe not joy division but you know into some kind Wait, of are you world best friends that with i wanted joy to <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can you introduce me to joy yeah, division would you like to meet ian curtis <laughs> Uh, but like, Tell you know what I mean? those things are really <laughs> important. And I think that's part of the reason we do this, which is like talking to people like yourself and talking to other people who've been on the pod and trying to get inside the, the reason that they do those things for whatever the fuck reason, because we're interested and, in and, it, and it's, because and, it's good for us. And you know? in the sort of giving back kind of thing, it is really funny. I'm just thinking of this now, but something similar to even just like this podcast and like documentaries and things like that. It's like, you know, in the same way you were talking about, like, again, the sort of map and discovering people along the way and throughout, it's like having you here, the connection, if you were to draw a map of connections of guests we've already had on yeah. and you, it's not like you're just like, it's not even like like obviously we're here to talk about your film, but you also fit into this this world that we're sort of documenting at the same time. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. It's like you mentioned Sarah Millman, Rob Gordon, Cat Duma. It's like it all connects in like funny. Well, ways. it's actually even you know, but good. Like there's other projects that I've wanted to do, and like when I was doing my first movie, like the kind of queer map thing. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. if I go to L.A. with my first movie, went to L.A. and I, it sounds I should just leave it at that. Why do I have to say like? <laughs> Why do I have to debunk how cool I am? Yeah, no, fucking on um, No, but like if you go there, people will inevitably say you have to meet so-and-so, you have to meet so yes. Oh, you guys. And you think that things are so much larger than they are. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like, especially with the internet, like, it's kind of a small map of people in each city that yeah. right. you, everyone ends up knowing each other because it is this idea that I'm talking about, about needing a... Uh, a community is the worst word. We I have know, to I say hate, something else. Know, but like a, new word a network or like a network, network or like a good. kind of obvious like a web of like of contact that yeah. that is inevitable mm-hmm. and and wicked. And it's awesome. you know, we talk about that in the movie a little bit. Like at the end when Scarlett says like designers used to fuck each other and now they yeah, fuck each other, each other. over yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. that is a true thing that can happen. But I think it's also because the themes in the movie are mm-hmm. about how hard it is to survive. Yeah. And to get your work out there mm-hmm. and to even have a format to do it because right. all of those sort yeah. of things have been, you know, distilled down to kind of like online presence. And that's, in my opinion, created some really amazing um, creative movements and and, and networks. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I think that's also why I wanted... So with the Fifth Column movie, they were all about like... Um, mythology and you don't know anything about them and blah, blah, blah. so I like 
put everyone in that movie like in a cartoony stakes. I didn't want to know anything about them. I was celebrating like the rock, the mythology of rock and roll. And right. I loved how people had like punk names and they were kind of like abandoning the patriarchal whatever that, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. their, fam- their family names and their, their punk names were kind of like a reclaiming of their or like a claiming of their actual independent yeah. identity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then with this one, because I was, I had such a personal um, idea of what I wanted to do was what I was saying. Like, I really wanted to no, like, forget about all that shit. Like, how are you still here? Like mm-hmm. what keeps you interested? Like, so because the new romantic thing is so much about clothes, like really early on. And I was like, fuck, like once I did get money for it, I was like, am I just going to make a movie about clothes? Like, cause I was doing my initial <laughs> interviews and I'd be like, okay, politics, racism, sex. And they were like, no, no, just make up. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> so like, I, I was really worried at one point in time that I, there was no story there. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't until I started freaking out that I started asking them about like the things I was freaking out about. And then I was like, okay, I don't want to show them like just as, as looks as clothes and, and all that stuff I wanted. And that's also why the bands fell away too, because it was really very much about these people and the mm-hmm. people in the movie. I think that the personalities come through so mm-hmm. 100%. strongly. Um, like my crew that were there, they had no idea what they were walking into every day. And like the personalities are like pretty extreme and the yeah, settings yeah. are pretty extreme. So some days they'd be really upset and some days they'd be really like excited and, and same as me. And, uh, and I, and I guess that became central to me. And, and, and then also like the, and another crazy thing about what we're talking about are like, mentioning people and everyone ended up knowing the same people. Like as I started knowing more and more about these guys, I was seeing music videos and stuff from when I was a kid, like seeing Nana Cherry music videos. Mm. Nana Cherry was like best friends with Judy Blame. Judy Blame styled Bjork's first album cover. Judy Blame um, did all the Nana Cherry videos. And then I started watching the Nana Cherry videos like from when I was a kid. And and then I saw Judy Blame as an extra in the background. And I started recognizing jewelry, massive attack. Like I started seeing like, Judy Blame and all that. And then the threads just got like really, really um, super intricate and could go on forever. And like, that's the bad thing about needing money and being able to go on forever because you're kind of like, well, now we can add this. Now we can add yeah, this. Now you're, yeah. You're just opening new doors to keep going. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you, so how do you end a documentary then? Well, I knew that I didn't want it to get into acid house and stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I knew that I wanted it. I guess the AIDS thing really like yeah level stuff, and I I I don't think that we knew how we were gonna end it. And then we were editing it during COVID, and I don't know. Like I was a pretty pessimistic person, you know. Or like um I don't know. But then and people were dying. Like Judy died when we were editing it, and like um something optimistic started happening and like because I was asking everybody in the movie for the answer for the definitive answer Mm -hmm. and what you were saying is like as like creative whatever like there is no end to it you just want to keep on Mm -hmm. looking for that thing that you can never find it's like um I guess I'll just go with this thought like the Faith No More song epic (laughs) I remember when I was like in grade seven or something this guy turned to me he's like you know what that's about right <laughs> and i was like no, yeah 
And he was like, it's about orgasming. Because like you can't, what is it? You can't touch it. You can't feel it. It's like, you know, but you're always chasing it. And I was like, oh yeah, I know. Because I orgasm all the time. I am. I'm orgasming right now. um, But it it is that kind of thing where you're always chasing the, oh, it's going to feel this way when I finish the movie. It's going to feel this way when, you know, and it, it never feels... Yeah. Like that, so um, I can't remember what I was going. Well, I was going to say, like, like, wake up. What point? How did you? How did you? Oh, how do we end the movie? How, what point did you say, like, okay, we we have everything right. we need, maybe with the exception of our I guess. Footage, I but. guess what? Well, like t- two days ago, and there's still more I could sneak in there. But like up till two days ago, I was like, I wrote the our online editor, and I was like, just sneak in this one shot. I can't sleep, but it's needed in there, and so like it's still going, and now it's like done, done, done. Like right, as of right. this week, but. The, in terms of the ending, I didn't want to use AIDS as like, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> I guess that sounds horrible already, but you know why. I don't yeah, want to use you, this yeah. as, like a sto- as like a plot line, mm-hmm. but um, I guess what I, yeah, what I was trying to get at was this idea of searching everything became central to it. And because I was hoping for them to say, well, we didn't give up art because of this. Um, no one was able to say that. So, mm-hmm. so then that ended up becoming the answer to the movie right. is like well shit happens like really bad things happen and I think that it probably did matter that really bad things were happening when we were making the movie because mm-hmm. like we didn't know how you know like a lot of friends were dying and stuff like that and it was like bad times and um, somehow found some lightness in the not being able to answer the question right. and I think Dougie Field was just like well you just go on and then all of a sudden you go out and you Mm -hmm. see some kid in the street looks wicked and you're like it's happening okay like that's amazing and so it just became about that and then judy yeah blame just said like i'm gonna fucking do this till i die and i don't i'm not because i was asking judy blame because i was in judy blame's apartment and and he had all of this for all this um jewelry that he was designing for Ray from mm-hmm. Come to Garçon. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, can I, we weren't allowed to shoot it or anything. I was like, can I try it on? He like, let me try some on. Like I wore the jewelry he made for her before she did. Ooh. Yeah. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was pretty exciting. But then he, you know, did stuff for like Louis Vuitton and like, like Dior and all these like, blah, 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 blah. and he was talking about how he wasn't like, he was renting his place and how he couldn't afford like if a Vivian Westwood handbag came out, he would have to save up for it. Right. And I was like dealing with my own, like very much just like mm-hmm. dealing with my own bitter ass questions. And I was like, don't you, don't you feel angry that you're making like the 1% of the world look so cool? Yeah. And you can't afford the bag you want or don't get given. He was like, fuck no, I don't want to be like them. Like, I don't want to. And I was like, oh my God, you're so punk. Cause I yeah. want the handbag. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I wish she had said that. I wish he had said that. But um, he didn't, and uh, and that was the kind of amazing thing to me. And so the answer to the movie ended up just being like, well, you have to have like a spirit that is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like all these kind of weird, I guess, like the term of our decade is like toxic, but like these weird, you know, like this gross longing that I had for some sort of answer to everything. Yeah. yeah. So then the movie really, I started to really love the movie once I realized that like, because I didn't want it to be like, there is no answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then somehow it ended up, I think the ending is like really kind of conflicted and it's kind of like shit. I think I always describe the ending as like shit happens. Yeah. Yeah. Get like, get over it. And like this kind of, 
um, emo, like, um, just, just, what's the word? Like self-destructive energy that mm. I'd always had, like, yeah. like, uh, like a nihilism or yeah. whatever. It's like, <laughs> you know, I think like growing up or whatever ends up being sort of like, I don't know, confronting that. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. And so in, in, even though the movie doesn't have like a super positive ending, a lot of people are bummed after they see it. A lot mm. of people feel really great, but like, I like that it's kind of open ended and yeah. it's like, I don't know. I feel like any artist that watches that, or I hope that any artist watches that will relate to that on some, in some capacity. It's not a bummer. It'd be yeah, real no, about I, I it. Yeah. It's a bummer at all because I think that what you're like highlighting is showing, is showcasing that in the end, the movement and the work is important, and you know, and it's and not about money. It's not about like, you know, in every scene we've all, been through and seen different scenes come and go mm -hmm. you know there's always going to be the two that kind of like weasel the way out into the mainstream and make a lot of money that's just the way it's been and once you get to a certain point and you're like a certain point of like of, of absorbing culture you realize that those big ones aren't the coolest ones the coolest ones are the ones that didn't necessarily make it you know and those are the ones that i think it's great to showcase well that's another important thing about it to me is that like I realized in all those years that I was worried about not contributing to a scene or whatever, actually people are like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that, like I said, just by going to a club yeah. and being part of that energy, God, no, but it's true. You know what I mean? Like that energy yeah. of like, totally yeah, I'm seeing you at like, you know, like I would see you out at like yeah. every DJ thing or come watch you play or like just be in the crowd. And like, these, the only reason these things continue to exist is because people were actually there. Because people no were there. there how do you, exist. how do you feel after making this documentary? Like going, coming to Toronto and seeing the scene and looking around, like, do you have kind of a newfound idea about it or about Toronto or just about like <laughs> general or I guess modern day cultural because happenings. here's the thing here's the thing that I would say in comparison to someone like Austin who's a bit younger mm -hmm. than I am and you know so when I was watching and I was what's we can talk specifically about the squats and stuff mm -hmm. but you know I not to say my friends were squatting they were renting lofts mm -hmm. but there was still very much this sort of idea of a bunch of creative people living in a shared space yeah. And you know, having the 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 cheap enough rent to work a couple of days, and you have the painters, you have the photographers, and musicians, and everyone kind of collaborates on things together, and you have parties and blah blah blah. And I kind of weirdly feel like maybe it doesn't exist for your generation. No, I don't think it does. That's what I'm really interested in. Is this seems to me. I have someone that's always romanticized these past cultural movements, these scenes, these things. Well, same. Uh, I mean, yeah, and yeah. of course, but for me, it's like especially romantic because it does not exist, or if it does exist, it's very, very small and very, very niche and very, very minute. And Nothing is a scene until retrospect. After the fact. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But, but that, okay, so that's my big question: is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. is is do these things actually exist, or is it only in hindsight? true i don't know i mean the thing is it's all just about people like me or whoever that come along and package it like i just packaged yeah. this in a way yeah. that made it seem like it was a scene i could have mm -hmm. made a movie about the new romantics and called that a scene that was something that was packaged and yeah. it was tidy and whatever i was kind of like oh well okay so like i had seen these images my favorite movie was hail the new puritan by charles atlas which is like heavily featured in the movie and mm. in the trailer huge fan of this artist and um he did a movie about michael clark hail the new puritan and 
when I saw that when I was way younger, it was just moving images and dancers that I liked and clothes. As I got older, I found out it was Lee Bowery. And then as I got older, I found out that was Body Map. And then, and like, and then now when I pause the party scene in that movie, I can literally say, there's Les, there's Scarlett, there's right. so-and-so, there's mm-hmm. Fat Tony, there's all these people. Like, And that's why it's so important to say, like, well, just being there actually does really matter. And mm. like, so you can package anything that you want as a scene. And for me, it was like, by featuring people like Judy Blame and Body Map and like more on the fashion end of things, um, it was a way of putting them there physically like th- like everywhere without it being about like who was on the scene mm-hmm. yeah um it, it it was like a quieter way to show that everything is present and in terms of me coming back and like well during making this movie because it's taken so long mm-hmm. people like students have started asking me about stuff that I was doing in Toronto um because I was friends with like amazing artists like Will Monroe and stuff like that. And people want to know, like they're kind of fetishizing that. So having done that to people like Bruce LaBruce or whatever, and, and constructing my own idea of what it was like to be a punk in the eighties. Yeah. What'd you think of Madonna, you know, and stuff like, (laughs) and and my own, and like also like people conflating bands and stuff like that. Like I have friends who like, like tat or like, shitty grunge bands that were like the worst band or people, <laughs> well, I was just gonna say our people put is... like corn together with like <laughs> l7 and you're like bro that is <laughs> no, not the, that is not how it was, I was just gonna but, say well what did you think of corn <laughs> i kind of like them for one i liked that song all day I dream about sex and yeah. i like great song. i don't know i like That's how you i like how like unique their sound was <laughs> and like even i the saw this thing? like really i was at a leather bar yesterday and i saw this like old man wearing a slipknot shirt and it blew my mind <laughs> Because yeah. I was like, I can't even think of one Slipknot song. Wait and bleed. But, sure, but I, like, like, I just—that's the nostalgic era right now. Yeah, no, but this like guy was not. This guy was like way older than me, if you can imagine true. that. Like, he was way older than me and had Slipknot shirt on, and I was like, dude, like, what's your favorite record? Like, t- like, give me some pointers because at the time yeah, I was yeah, yeah. being a a snotty like twenty something, you know. And now I don't give a fuck. So I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Let me give Slipknot a try, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, and, yeah. and, and so, so in terms of like scenes and stuff, I don't know, everything's changed and I'm not like so deeply invested in it, but I do know that like, I find myself, comp- I'm, I'm, I'm a complainer. Like I'm always like, you know, with Toronto and everything, it's hard when you're always looking somewhere else for inspiration yes. to find it where you are. Yeah. Now, I'm lucky enough that I've always been around gravitated towards or like just like stalked people like Bruce LaBruce and brought them into my life and had like an amazing experience being part of, of like whatever that, that world is. And he's always, always kind of hung out with like younger people too. And like had that energy about yeah. him. And like, there's so many people now I'm like looking back at things and, and I, I don't know if there's a scene per se. And like, I think with the whole, like his dance music has taken over thing, everything's so hardcore. It's like a little bit homogenous. Um, but I agree. Yeah. That's, but uh, that's a big thing we talk about. For but sure. it's like, you know, when we went to Talvi show that night and it was like all those like grunge bands, it wasn't her show, but it was like all those bands playing and everything. And like, that was sick. and, and there is this thing like, like this isn't a podcast about being elderly, but it's like, um, 
those dudes, what were they called again? Like uh, nine million. Yeah, nine, nine million. million. They were like, this is a cover by like a band called the Jesus and Mary Jane, and I was like. Fuck. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! They're like introducing this band. I'm like, it's happening! It's happening! I was like, dude, I gotta go. And like, but under their wicked, it was great. But yeah. I was just kind of like freaking out. But I think that in a place like Toronto, it's like, it's not really like a a, a style city. It's more like a shopping city. Yeah. You know. So in terms of like fashion being the thing that makes you notice people because people can put on clothes and look way more interesting than they are. Well, this is what we were talking about before you came on. We literally had this conversation. We were talking about how it feels like the long gone are the days where, you know, what you dress like represents something bigger than you. Yeah. yeah. Or who you are. And it's any, or, or yeah. where you align yourself within, you know, whether it be a scene or a style of music or um, the or, cultural sphere. In yeah. General. Now it's like, none of it like seems to make any sense anymore. No. And it's like, I don't know. I'm really, I'm conflicted about it because I, you know, I've said this a bunch, but like, I, I really hate the idea of people saying kids these days or now versus then because <laughs> yeah. I love kids these days, especially like when I was in London and making this movie and was like, this shit is crazy. It's people are crazy, but London's a different beast, you know? Yeah. But in Toronto, in a way, it's good because it makes it so much easier to notice people who have style and right. that are, are like, okay, you're like oh, weirdo, and, you know, we probably know the same people. There's, like, ten of them, if that, <laughs> yeah. that are, like, true, just, like, fuck the world. But the rest of it is, like, that idea of, like, remixing things. So you're taking what you thought was a scene in the 90s and then looking at magazines and the 90s are back. But there's so many things happening in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like Christina yeah, Aguilera yeah. and fucking corn were hanging out. <laughs> But now you see kids and they look like Christina Aguilera dressed up as corn and it's sort of sweet. It's like, yeah. it's like, I love, I mean, there's a, there's a lack of depth of knowledge, but I think there's a new vocabulary made, made by that. So it's like kind of, I think more valuable to try and understand what that culture is, even yes. though, so mm. it, it can maybe seem a little bit vacuous or bottomless or whatever, but it's still cool. And I think that it, I think that it really requires a cool person t to take it forward. Yeah. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yes. everyone can yes. be dressed a certain way because yes. the internet and like TikToky, everything is like so just visual segments of things yeah. that don't have any like roots in anything. Yeah. Right. Which is cool, but then it can just be kind of like putting on things and not at the end of the day expressing anything about yeah. yourself. Yeah, exactly. So it's really easy to see the people who are kind of true weirdos. Yes. And so I don't think, I don't know. I don't know how to, to talk about that now because mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about it. We all are. What, what somebody from 20 years from now will think about that. Maybe we won't value scenes as much. Right. And also, aren't you getting fucking sick of seeing movies about the scene or just the words, the scene? <laughs> what was the scene like? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what scene? Like, but this is something I, I think is actually really important, the scene. Like, I know we get shit all the time for apparently, like, trying to, like, talk about a scene or curate a scene or something like that. But why the fuck is a scene bad? A scene is just a group of like-minded individuals who are working towards artistic pursuits and helping each other in that mm -hmm. endeavor. But people aren't right? hearing like, that. They aren't hearing working together, vibing yeah. off each other. 
supporting each other. It's people's insecurity yeah. and then being like, well, I'm not part of the popular kids. And it's like, well, where the fuck were you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go to the club. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, where were you? It's yeah. not our fault. You're being a hater. You're not. A, that's like, why you're not a part of it. It's like when hipster that became a word like, and everyone thought hipster was such a bad word. Yeah. And a friend of mine, Alex Malaco, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it stuck with me. She was like, what are we supposed to just all wear fucking beige? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, is that is that what you're supposed to is that some sort of radical movement? And yeah. like, I guess in a way that would be kind of cool, but like, <laughs> like well, I don't wear beige. Stage. I don't wear beige, but um, yeah, I, I think that that's the whole thing. This idea of elitism and da, 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 because well, that's with my first movie too. and this movie too, you know, there was tons of people who were like, oh, well, they're all snobby. And like, and that was a question I asked all the neuromantic people like, well, you guys are really cliquey. And they were like, we don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we're a big family. Yeah. And that's what a scene is, right? Yeah, it's right. like, and also, what are you going to do? What are you going to gonna babysit every person that you meet in the... That's my belief on it. It's just yeah. like, get the fuck over. Like, you're the narcissist here who thinks that everything, everyone else is like, like hates you yeah <laughs> no yeah. one's thinking about you yeah that's yeah. the fucking problem yeah you know? like come the, talk to us in the come like talk to anyone art faggy days of like the early 2000s like there's people we were all hanging out in the same thing and then as we got older we would start talking about what that experience was like and mm. people were like oh you guys were so snotty and like you know exclusive and you never talk and i was like honestly i didn't know you were like there i <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you were probably really nice, but I just was like with my friends at the yeah. bar, yeah, and like, exactly. and I probably just didn't have like I probably didn't have much to say, you know. It's probably just like so we're at the bar now, you know. And it, it's like, and then it gets perceived, and then and then some kid will come along and package it as a scene, yeah. Yeah. and will place me in the movie as the close friend of that person who said I was a dick. Yeah. 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 And that's yeah. the cool thing about making movies. <laughs> yeah. You can just do whatever you want. Full fictionalization. <laughs> that's sick. It's true though. But it, but it's funny because I always think that like, you know, I was very anti scene up until like maybe two years ago. Like most of my twenties was just like, not, not a fuck the scene because I very much, you could literally pinpoint any scene that I was a part of based on my. Well, Josh to me was the scene that I couldn't infiltrate when I was like 20. Really? I was there. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> you guys were both, but then I got over myself. Loser. But, but the like, point is that like, I just, I just feel like I was always trying to just be like, no, this is just not look like you were saying, I was looking at it more so as not, a cliquey insular thing but no. more a group of friends making things and sharing them with each other exactly. and i guess the internet you yeah. know and but but that being said as i as over the last couple of years i've realized that that word doesn't have to be something negative i yeah. think i think the idea of like a scene is more so just literally which is which again goes back to why i loved the film so much is that it's is that oh yeah the, the idea of <laughs> a scene doesn't have to be about one thing specifically. At the end of the day, it's like a bunch of people just being freaks together and being like, we get along because we're fucking interesting people. Like that's yeah. what brings yeah. us together. Yeah. And then like, I know amazing people who like make clothes and people who are, are draw comics. And like my friend Eric Costic Williams right now is an incredible artist and he's off in New York promoting his new book, 2AM Eternal. It's amazing. Hey. <laughs> and like, you know, everyone's doing their own thing and you're kind of like excited. You should be excited to be around the people that you know. Yeah. And it yeah. shouldn't, it's not like you all have the same clothes or anything that that's the whole thing too about the neuromantic thing is that i was talking about that's why i don't like saying neuromantic because that gives 
a right. person who knows, you know, can envision what that looked like. Everyone thinks that they look like fucking pirates or like mm-hmm. whatever. But actually, the whole thing was it was criminal to have anyone look like you. Right. You know, so actually, yeah. it actually was a collection of people who were like, no, I'm the pirate guy, and you're the like frilly doll girl, and like, don't you cross my pirate, you know, thing, and like, I think of it more as like a crew, like right, you know, right. especially like exactly no crew, DJ crews. DJ crews and stuff. It's like, oh, who's DJing night? Oh, it's like Josh and that crew, you know, and it's like, oh, cool, like I can envision that because they've played together, they get a DJ gig. Who are they going to play with? I'm going to call my friend in my crew who I like, or like someone that yeah. I like to come. It's not like you reach an echelon and, and you have to work your way to that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, no, it's no. like me and my friends are going to do a thing and you and your friends should come. Yeah. That's like all it really comes down yeah. to. Yeah. And if you've ever, if, if I've never heard you play a record, yeah. Oh, well, why would I even know? Like, I don't know. It yeah, just, exactly. It's not rocket science. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I see how that all sounds shitty and I think I have been, privileged to a certain extent like my time in Toronto like but I always I always went like it's the same thing with London like I went and the same thing with Fifth Column like I kind of went to them like right. on my right. own right I was still part of my friend's crew right but by my own like interests like I was kind of okay well I'm gonna I'm gonna ask about this band and then I'd go to the bar and I'd tell them about the band they didn't care yeah you know, so it's not like we were all sharing this this but the, experience. But, but here's the here's the other thing that I that I think about often when I think of you know, you know, building yourself in and around the things that interest you. When you were talking about the idea of like somebody being there and being like, oh, that guy was a dick or da da da, because they didn't talk to me. You know what? That person probably stopped going to those things. Yeah. Now, when you think about anyone that we've, like even us just becoming friends over the years, I couldn't tell you how we became friends, but you know what? We kept being in the same room yeah. over and yeah, over and over yeah, so yeah, that yeah. the first time, maybe we're just like, hey, hey, that's that. And then, you know, a year later, we're like, oh, hey, hey, you know, because it's a dedication to liking the actual thing that you're going to. And then you're like, oh, wait a yeah, minute. If you're like, going there, for- yeah. You know, you and know also, you're not going there to be beyond something. You're going somewhere to be comfortable. Because like you're interested in it. You yeah, like it. and you're like it's not like every night that I went out and saw you, I was like stoked to be there. Sometimes I'm just like, <laughs> this is what's going on, or yeah. like, here we are. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's not like lock the door. The crew is here. The scene is here. <laughs> no, no one shall enter. There's a fucking moat. The you know, scene is here. yeah. It's not like I don't understand that perception. Although I do understand how you know it's important to feel yeah, yeah. and how scary it can be to oh. to not feel. And like to be honest, to this day when I go to London and like I was so happy when I. I could stop going to all those clubs because I always felt super nervous yeah. being there because I wasn't like, Wah! like <laughs> in drag and all that shit. Right. I was just kind of like more interested and, and, and always kind of felt like a bit of a mooch to the thing, you know? And like, I was really happy once I could stop doing that and just yeah. kind of look at your creativity of it all and mm-hmm. just be like, yeah, like that's the interesting thing about it. I don't really have the interest in being in like cracking a, scene or a crew or a mm. or whatever and i think that maybe what could be perceived of me being parts of certain scenes is just like when when you're younger really and just like kind of yeah engaged more socially on a social level mm-hmm. so the interesting thing is when you're kind of like not so in need of a social group to help like fortify your identity and everything because that shit 
obviously matters. Like, look yeah. at the whole gay thing. Like, that, all that stuff matters. Anyone. Yeah. You know, like, having that sense of comfort and, and also being, like, making the effort to to crack that kind of thing. Like, that's what I did. Yeah. I was in college and, like, just knew people who wanted to make action movies, you know, and I started coming downtown <laughs> alone and going to, like, the Queer West thing and, like, rolling up to people like Will Monroe being like, hi, I don't, I don't, I don't. And then just kept on doing that. Yeah, that, that's yeah, what I yeah. mean. It's the dedication because you actually cared. Yeah, it's not like there was a fucking initiation or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. like... And, Welcome and, to the scene. <laughs> and it was the same thing with London, too. Like, I just kind of kept on showing up. Right. Yeah. Until people would be like, oh, weird Canadian guys here still, you know. And, and then that's kind of like... I don't know. I guess I don't want to sound shitty for people who feel insecure or, or, or perceiving... Like, I don't think cultural are, things as like they, they can't crack it because I, I think like I think it's important for people to if they have something to offer and don't really have the, the vocabulary to share it or whatever. I think that it is important to do that. But I don't think that being part of a scene or a movement or anything really exists yeah. Yeah. until it's in retrospect. Yeah. And then you and then you repackage it, whether it's through a documentary or through just nostalgia or like not remembering. Cause you probably were there and you were drinking and like, yeah. you can just make it up all, all up anyways. And yeah. like, <laughs> I think it's sad to kind of say, and, and that's something I'm glad about tramps too, is like, I don't think that the movie and still, even though I know it's an easy way for people to say, and for me to say too about the new romantics or whatever, but I don't, I don't, I hope I didn't make a thing about a scene and I hope yeah. it's about a diversity of I'm creative a, people yeah. who like yeah. inhabit each other's places. I think if anything, it captures how the diversity of these people interacting in the same space maybe projected a scene, but to the world, yeah. but, but it wasn't, that wasn't what the film was about, you know? And that yeah. wasn't what you were doing was capturing the projection. I think you were going beyond the projection. Another really amazing thing about it was early on, you know, when I was just trying to catch like plot points and stuff like that, um, I'd be like, so what did you think when boy George got really famous and no one else did? <laughs> did you hate him? And cause they're, you know, they can be yeah. like, yeah. And, uh, they were like, no, it was hilarious. Like we loved it. <laughs> Whether they're full of shit or not, right. like, you know, it doesn't always have to be about like resenting the other person who you perceived as getting something that you didn't get or like right. that, that yes. the epic, the faith, the more moment, like, and I'm saying that honestly, because like I, you know, making this movie or anything that I've done, I'm always like, it looks so much easier for everyone else. It just mm -hmm. looks like they mm -hmm. are getting the Academy Award all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> just nobody even knows I'm alive. Like that kind of thing. Like you're always comparing your, well, I'm always comparing myself to someone else. So mm -hmm. I wanted to put that in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that that's something that I feel like has existed constantly. It's like, I've felt that way. I've been a part of a, scene or whatever and had you know mac demarco come out of it and go well that guy just bought a fucking mansion in la and i'm hmm. like look at me renting you know it's like it's like these are the things but it's but but my point is <laughs> did i just go well he did it gonna stop making music now it's like huh. no yeah. it's like that's not the way it, you know because it is arbitrary and it is nepotistic yeah. yeah you know and for me i want to meet everybody like yeah. i want to yeah. you know i'm trying to be like yeah i want to contribute to this conversation yeah, yeah. and it would be nice to have some sense of 
uh, security around that. It still eludes me, but like, you know, that kind of thing, like comparing yourself to other artists, it's like, well, it is, it is really, really like arbitrary. Yeah. Like, it's like, um, you know, you could probably hear like 10,000 people that sound, especially after his, he got popular, yeah. right. like Max Marco, but like, you know, even from his crew, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like they're all like those guys were all making kind of similar sounding music and actually sounded like that crew yeah. of people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, but one of them got really famous or whatever. And, um, I guess it's shitty because I can imagine you kind of being like, but we all do that too. Why did he get picked? You know? <laughs> but then it's also like, how do you bring your crew up? Yeah. Yeah. With you or whatever. Yeah. And I'm lucky because like, yeah, like I said, a lot of my friends, like even like Kat Duma's record being made, like yeah. while, while making this movie and everything, mm. it's just kind of like, everyone's kind of creating something. Yeah. And hopefully you're surrounding yourself with people that you don't resent. Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, because it's also not a competition. You know? No, you're not in competition with your peers. And if you're viewing it like that, then you shouldn't be a part of any. <laughs> this has been something friend group or whatever. You gotta yeah. look at yourself, bro. You gotta look at yourself. <laughs> it's also, like like you think about the great filmmakers of like like the Steven Spielbergs and Martin Scorsese and stuff. Like uh, George Lucas was able to make Star Wars because Francis Ford Coppola made The Godfather. You know, okay, because like Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> was like, you guys should check this guy out. You know. And so it's like that's that's how these things happen. Yeah. One person does something and then the other person helps the other person do that thing. Too. Right. But also right. I like how lately, I don't know where I've seen this forever, but, I, but a lot of people are asking those guys like mm-hmm. who was actually a shitty actor or who was like a douche back then? And they'd be like Robert Redford was a total prick. You know, because they're kind of like at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of boys. And yeah, kind exactly. of like, oh, hey, you know, like and they're just kind of razzing each other back then. And like uh-huh. they get put into this weird archive of legend and then and i think that like it's interesting now for whatever reason that it comes out that it's like a bunch of dudes who are like of course obviously it was a much smaller pool because it wasn't in the internet or whatever but like i i think especially in toronto like well this is kind of shady but like that's something that i wonder about now in Toronto because I do see a lot of younger friends that are trying to make stuff and Toronto has this weird or did for whatever reason I guess because of broken social scene or some shit like have this reputation of feeling like everyone's just together and helping each other because 500 <laughs> people in the band and so that's all of Toronto's <laughs> artists and they just love each other and it's a magical uh, utopia and you're like oh yeah mm-hmm. Not at oh all. yeah <laughs> come and check out the music scene no one's fucking helping each other no, <laughs> no one is helping each other you want to talk about a scene like and and so i think to glorify that kind of thing is also kind of dangerous yeah, yeah. because then that's yeah. going to make the person who's in toronto trying to do whatever yeah. feel like shit because yeah. they're like well i thought it was a magical place and you're yeah. like <laughs> i've never heard that about toronto yeah, that was the whole thing. Torontopia. Oh, yeah. Torontopia was, that, was a yeah, thing. Damn. I was actually talking about that with someone today. Damn. Bunch <laughs> of crap. <laughs> damn. Who knew? Well, for those that don't know what Torontopia yeah, is, can you, can you tell Oh, sorry, what, sorry. For, can, you tell, can you explain what, what it was to Austin? Like, I don't fully remember, but it was like, <laughs> it was like after, it was like, I guess around, who became more famous first? Arcade Fire or Broken Social Scene? Well, they both got famous because of the band The Hidden Cameras, which was a queer band that was like basically 
people who couldn't play instruments coming from the beat happening kind of like mm-hmm. um, world. Mm-hmm. Um, K records kind of stuff. K records kind of like making an orchestral sound out of, you know, a bunch of people who are like art students basically. Yeah. And then Arcade Fire became super, in, you know, inspired by them, as did Broken Social Scene, both great bands. I was just going to say it on your fucking podcast at the time, whatever. It was special. Yeah. It was, you know, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was great seeing everyone. But then because when they got this sort of like, um, and Pitchfork wasn't really even a huge thing, but I think those bands kind of were happening when Pitchfork was getting mm-hmm. like whatever blown by the universe. And... Um, <laughs> They, because there were so many people in their bands and everything like that, and then like other bands I don't even want to mention, um, <laughs> part of that world were it was perceived like one big family, right? But then it was really just a few bands had twenty members in them, and they're right. you know like so many of my friends' bands are just people that were happening in that time. It's not like they were like. <laughs> all in a big Care Bear stare. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just a couple bands who had a lot of members. And so this was deemed by media as Torontopia because of this? I get, I don't know. I was a little too young for this. I was like, I wonder if Toronto school. made that up I or Pitchfork like, made that I up. I feel like Toronto made it Yeah, probably. Kind it's, of my yeah, it's theory, like a but city thing being like, you should move here because everybody kind of loves like, each It's other. just like <laughs> classic, classic desperation for like um, acknowledgement or mm. like, or something like that. Well, I think the, the, I guess the interesting thing here is that it's the two levels of it. It's like, A, it's important to have competition, you know, and this like kind of rivalry between bands, not, maybe not rivalry, but so that you're pushing each other. And then B, it's good to have peers and a, a people that you support and engage with and help grow, help each other grow, mm-hmm. you know? But I don't think that the Trontopia thing is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just saying it's dumb when you think about it in yeah. retrospect and, yeah. and it's not true. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's yeah. It's yeah. just another example of something that wasn't true. Yeah. And, and this is not a diss to those bands, but probably the, it's like saying that they were referencing the hidden cameras, yeah. the more interesting stuff, uh, there's nothing topia about it. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, all the bands that we were seeing, your bands or whatever, are you like in Trontopia? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like it's just like, I don't know, it's just silly. It's just silly to package yeah. everything in one idea. And actually the thing that I loved at one point in time, because of all this actually, it's unfortunate that the movie didn't end up being like that, but I wanted to skip punk entirely because I just didn't want right. to talk, I didn't want to say the P word anymore. Yeah. Especially because my first movie was like, punk, 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 punk. And, um, and I was just like, Mariah, 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 Mariah. Like I was not yeah, listening yeah. to punk at all. And um, you know, uh I I wanted to to kind of prove that that I wanted to disprove the way that we have been taught about like how history happens chronologically. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like the new romantics came out of punk and the new romantics from this. Nothing mm-hmm. turned into anything. Yeah. Like at the same time, industrial music was being born. Like yeah out of punk rock and industrial music was like fucking blowtorch was the real blowtorch <laughs> torch you know so i was like trying to talk to cozy fanny 2d she was right. just busy with her book but out of that squat thing i was talking to like coom like genesis purage mm-hmm. cozy fanny 2d people like that who were using um using squatted spaces right as a place to work and and to live yeah and so i was just like oh can we just draw a new line and then just because of time and money and contacts. It just, and, and also when I, 
went to London and was trying to skirt the issue of punk, mm -hmm. the emotional reaction I got from people about the Sex Pistols and stuff that, you know, me going through like the record store days being like, Sex Pistols aren't real punk. They're like a boy band. Um, <laughs> a lot of bands that were formed by somebody are like pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just seeing how much and how emotional that was for a lot of these people. I was like, actually, I want to put that in the movie. I right. want to, yeah. it, it's like, I wanted to find a new language about it by using industrial music right. mm. and also just to like seem cool. Yeah. But then, but then I was like, well, maybe like say something nice about the sex pistols. You know? Like, <laughs> well, just, I also love that little, that little section at the very end after the credits roll, there's like that little sex pistols bit as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Like at, in the, I don't know what you call those things, but, as the oh yeah, like post credit, yeah, yeah like credit tidbits. I don't know what they're called either, but <laughs> I just love that part. You rotter, <laughs> you dirty fucker. Okay, I wanted to before we before we we've been going for a little while now, but before we oh really no 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 we got time we got time before we before we get uh, before we uh, I'll have to edit that part out. Anyways, what I wanted to bring up is moving. I wanted to talk a little before bit. we get to the most exciting part. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk a little bit now and to switch gears for a second. Because you've referenced it many times in this in this conversation, the record store days. Because it's such, it equates to so much of what Austin and I have talked about in sort of the the, the age gap between us, which is what ten years, a little less, yeah, a little less than that. But it's but it's like enough. But it's enough that there's little things that just like you know I experienced that he didn't, and That's things. That, yeah. yeah, it's like things like that. So for example, we talked like seven or eight. But yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't Sorry. matter. <laughs> no, I guess you're actually right. It's not ten years. It's like Dude, even like three like, years is a lot. No, it's like it's like especially, seven, nowadays, seven especially now. Yeah. But my point is is that um the record store days, we talk about these things and we talk about, you know, my experiences going there and just like how funny it is and just how different things are. And and a lot of it kind of always goes back to my idea of like not even determination, but like when you go to something enough, that's the best way to prove to anyone, not that you have to prove to anyone, but it's the best way to prove to yourself. Yourself, yeah. That you like actually care about this yeah, yeah. thing. And you know, so going to the to the to the record store days and, and I know we talked about this like a month ago and had a really hilarious conversation. At like four AM. <laughs> like four AM. And it was very funny. So we won't we won't just rehash that entire conversation. But what I will say just for the for Austin's sake and for people listening is because it's funny. And you can defend and say that it was not true and maybe it wasn't true. But I was talking about just less about I was never I never said that you were the mean record store asshole clerk. <laughs> what I did say was that it was it was it was the style at the time. That was the that was what you expected. You go to a cool record store, you're gonna get some bad service. Mm -hmm. You're gonna get people judging the records you're buying. You're gonna get you know, it was part of the culture. And you know what? Looking back, obviously it was scary and intimidating, but I fucking loved it. Like I look back on it fondly because it was exciting. And it was it that was, part of the thing that I think we've said before that reinforces your taste because you're like, well, if I'm gonna have to face judgment for this, I better fucking like. Yeah, it. I better like enjoy it. <laughs> well, I think it's really like a kind of like judging. I really do think that it's um, a self consciousness thing. Yeah. And that if you go into a space projecting that kind of thing, like right. that's the experience you're gonna have, exactly. and. Whatever, like I said, I was there for a long time, and and I got hired like on the spot when I was in the midst of experiencing 
being intimidated by these people, right. you know? And like, it was just a really strong personalities. And I didn't realize that I had a strong personality quite yet, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, there was like the really Kevin Yonke, the really jaded kind of like, <laughs> like, and then there was Esther, like the metal, like hot metal girl. Sorry. <laughs> she was hot. Esther, you were hot. And, um, you know, and she just like seemed really like mean and then like the scary old owner and like everyone kind of, it was like a, it was a cartoony. It was. Yeah. And I think that the beginning, my cartoony thing was like the, in the closet, like I love everything. <laughs> and like electro was becoming a thing. Right. And I was like, I only have one sleeve and my hair is like this. I'm like electro and you know, and, and, and the, it was like kind of a switching of the things. Everything was like punk and metal up until then. You right, know, it was right. like, so I really, a lot of people, believe it or not, are like, you're the reason I came into um, Rotate because you, you were gay and like you were friendly and da da da. But then, like, when I was working at Unlovable, like 10 years later, there's still <laughs> drunk guys coming up to me being like, you were such a dick to me. And I'm like, <laughs> or were you just really insecure? <laughs> and, and I know that you were insecure because I was too, like, going yeah. in there. Like, I didn't. I felt like a total imposter, but you know, I always, I, I always think about it and I'm like, at that time there wasn't such a huge indie. Yeah. There are great record stores in Toronto that, but that was like are, are treated more in a dominant kind of like mm -hmm. catch all kind of department store type thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for sure, Rotate was like the first independent record store in Toronto. And like for me, because like that's my my family is my like familiar place, like kind of the coolest, most altruistic one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you get into these conversations about like elitism and exclusivism and blah, blah, blah. And why is that better than any other record store or more altruistic, you know, yeah. in terms of musical or whatever, because it's old and like things have changed, you know, sure. Things have changed. Like those other record stores are great now too. But, um, I just thought, at the time, if the records that we were selling were shitty or worth judging, like, isn't it on us? Yeah, I was gonna right. say that you're the ones buying them in the because, first place. Yeah, because at the time, like, they wouldn't. I remember like Mariah's records came, like, The Emancipation of Mimi came out, and I was just like, at that time, I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like, my thing is, I'm just like, this is me, and like. De before Beyonce was solo or whatever, I loved Destiny's Child. And everyone thought it was ironic. And I'm like, no, listen to this flow. Listen to these weird rhythms. And like, this, this is an amazing band. And like, and they all thought it was some sort of ironic thing. Because irony still was a thing. And um and I remember like after I worked there, it was like, I can't remember which pop star, but like maybe Miley Cyrus or somebody like that, like had a record that everyone wanted and I remember Rotate ordered it and I was like, ooh, <laughs> shit. Okay, that's the end then, isn't it? <laughs> but like, you know, when the Emancipation movie came out I made them order me a copy, original copy, now it's worth like a million dollars and I own it. Um, <laughs> you know, and everyone kind of, now we it's a catch-all. We all love pop music and we all like punk music. Like yeah. It's like everything. Yeah. Like everything is cool. Yeah. Um, it's interesting now to look back at that because I just thought I was so excited about everything yeah. and I didn't want to be cool. Yeah. I never wanted to be cool. I, and like, if anything, I think that I was, I was never trying to be ironic about anything. If I liked something, I was just like, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people still think my obsession with Mariah Carey is like an ironic thing. And it's like, <laughs> nope. You want to <laughs> ask about it? But, um, 
because I do perceive her as punk, but it's another podcast. But um, yeah, so the record store thing, I don't know. It's really weird. It's really weird how important it is to everybody. Yeah. And I think it does fall into line with what we're talking about. This kind of weird, cheesy theme that we've been pursuing conversationally about like believing in yourself and going to the record store. Because it really was. But, I, but, like I, but, a, I, but I, it really was a kind of scary thing. You're like, yeah. I'm. It was like going into like um, ego war, <laughs> you know. And so I think that like to be feel perceived as judged is probably because you are interested in cool things. Yeah, and it's not you know. So that part of that is being perceived as cool by the thing that you're buying. And, the I, th- cool and, thing and, from. I, th- and I think like I was saying, like I I remember literally being not even like scared to go in, but being like you know I would I would take the subway to Bathurst, take the streetcar down, get off at Queen of Bathurst, and be like, all right. We're going to the store. I'm and getting like, nervous just now. Just even thinking about it, actually. And like, you know, you walk in at Queen of Baptist, you look at the thing, you, know, you walk in, like, no one really says hi. Maybe you said hi. I don't know. But the only version of, of this I have is, like, a skate shop. I didn't have this, like, record stores. Well, first of all, I, like, the, the, I went to someone in high school, but it yeah. wasn't a scary thing. It was, it was, it was. It was, was different. I, I, it was I, different I, when there was no... <laughs> There, ugh, I do not want to say there was no internet. That's nothing about tramps. I never wanted anyone to say, and there was no cell phones back then. Right, right, right. right. You know, I think you know. So, like, you know, if anyone says that in a in a documentary, it's got to be a drinking game. Yeah, and there was no internet. You know, yeah. they say so it once in my it. movie, and I was like, this has to stay because he's making a point. But, right, but like, well, it's about photography and stuff like that. It was it was a important part whether it was a, a yeah, camera I don't know yeah. and it wasn't even like records it was like CDs yeah. <laughs> you know it was I don't know but I think I think just being young and, and trying to form an identity is just like a really like it's a really high tension sort of time and mm. so no matter what you're going to perceive those memories as being like really loaded with all this judgment and yeah and perception and also performance and you know I think because of the era that we're talking about, this yeah. high fidelity thing. And also that fucking movie came out when I worked there. And so everyone just, <laughs> I never even saw it. Like everyone just like put that on us. Like I was a TV character and I was just like, because people were really like, it was really like being in the public eye working I there. I never thought True. about that movie having, oh my God, it's all people even, ever I talked didn't about. I even put that together. I mean, it actually happened quite late until when I was working there, but it's like all people would talk about because they, they, did characters of everybody. And then if you do look at Rotate at the time, or probably any record store anywhere at that time, we were all like <laughs> cartoony <laughs> versions of each other, you know? Yeah. And like, um, which I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's like a great idea for a movie. But um, like a workplace sitcom at a record yeah, store? Yeah, a workplace sitcom. But um, I do regret that people felt like I was a dick at any time. And, and I, Again, it goes back to me feeling like I'd been there for eight years and I was like really depressed and kind of like feeling stuck and Mm -hmm. just going to shows like every single night. That was like my life forever, which is great, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of like stagnation and stuff. So at the end, I definitely was a dick and I was only listening to Morrissey and Mariah Carey (laughs) exclusively. I had no interest in anything. And and that that gets back into kind of like the the Tramps thing, chasing that... um, how do you stay interested? Right. Cause that was such a shitty time at the end of that, that I, you know, when I started my first movie, essentially I was like, okay, I gotta like reframe. I gotta remix this stuff. And yeah. like, and, and 
sort of find something interesting. It's not just in this it's this thing. So whether that's looking at a history or something to move forward to, like how can I find something interesting for myself so I don't mm. just become like this puddle of like disdain. Right. You know, and and I I don't know. Like I actually did re- not really like a lot of record stores that came later and turned into like the whole kind of like glee club thing. <laughs> like, hey, you're like <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the record store era that I grew up in. <laughs> yeah, I like it now, but it was an adjustment for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, people always talk about youth culture, like it's this thing that's like. I, I mean, I, I I do like to think of it as thing that generates new ideas and mm-hmm. generates new scenes, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> new crews, but. Uh, you know, there's a reason why all these movies exist about awkward kids trying to find their way in life because, like, really, it's all just projections of shit and whatever. Right. Yeah. And then the only thing to cure it is like fucking decades passing and someone making it into a total lie <laughs> and then getting interviewed about it. <laughs> Damn. That's the only Damn, way. That's a great fucking. I think that's a perfect way to. I think that's a perfect ending to this episode. <laughs> Well, just email and send it before I regret anything. Don't worry, <laughs> it's all good. All right, Kevin, thank you so much, yeah, uh, you so much. for for coming through. This was this was very fun. And yeah, long awaited interview, and thank you so much for taking the time. No, right now because I am very stoked about it. And our pleasure for everyone listening. Tramps is it's not premiering, but it's it's screening it's the theatrical premiere on June twenty second in Toronto at Hot Ducks, and there's yeah, an after party. Ted Rogers. Cinema, Woo. Um, and there's an after party at the Dance Cave, which is like a legendary yeah. '80s Dance Cave. That's, That's so yeah. sick. I haven't been in there in like decades. I haven't actually been in there since the era we're talking about, That's like so where they used perfect. to play like Ramstein and stuff, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And that's gonna be cool. Jeffrey's coming. Jeffrey in the movie, if you come out and see it, is gonna be projecting those videos we talked about. Sick. And Kat Duma is gonna DJ. Um, and then it's gonna be on the internet later this summer. Sweet. Yeah. And then I'll be part of the crew. Taking bigger freaking tip, tweaking love, biting ass, licking shit, stabbing motherfucking spine, clubbing ball, busting cock, sucking fists, fucking lips, smacking thirst, quenching cool, living, ever giving, useless man. Useless man. Ooh, licking piss, drinking figure, freaking tit, tweaking love, biting ass, licking shit, stabbing motherfucking spunk, loving ball, busting cock, sucking fist, fucking lips, smacking thirst, quenching cool, living, ever giving. Useless man. Useless man. Useless man.